because we've done this for a year this is episode 52 oh yeah so i don't know exactly like i don't know if it's like 50 second i don't know how that worked it feels like we started later but maybe uh we started record do we we banked a few episodes before we started putting them out so okay i don't know what the actual like first date was i don't know before i went to jail (laughs) (laughs) um we started oh yeah yeah Uh, sometimes i worry i'm gonna go to jail again but like when i'm on the way over here and then you'll be like what happened to jeremy (laughs) (laughs) uh did did that court thing ever happen what happened it's ongoing (laughs) yeah i don't know this is preposterous yeah this is the system we live under and sometimes my tax dollars go to fund it's uh, pretty ridiculous. Don't you have a right to a speedy trial? A reasonably speedy trial? I think so. It's I... not like it was the murder of the century and they have to spend a year, like, investigating. Yeah, who knows? I, I, don't really, I don't really get updates on it. I figure once it's over, my lawyer will let me know what happened. Because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had to appear at all. He's just right. been appearing in my stead and... I don't talk to him that much <laughs> um, because he's paid off and they aren't hassling me for money anymore. So, Well, at least he's paid off, so he's not going to just stop representing you. Yeah, he can't legally, I think. He would know. He would know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. I'm the kind of person who gets arrested and then um, just talks about pornography. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, at least you're giving back to society. I'm in the underclass. (laughs) I'm going to open this drink. No, I'm not. I did it. There you go. Congrats. Uh We finally Uh did it. Yeah, I got got this Dell now. Oh. I had like a Lenovo thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It finally died off, but this is is from uh, my friend. People just get me stuff when because I'm poor. <laughs> it's excellent. Uh, is it is it working out for you well? Yeah, I just started using it last night. I'm gonna start trying to use uh start getting the screens for the episodes. Okay. So I'll start trying to grab them uh, in this next batch. Excellent. Yes, the next recording batch. Okay. Yes, not these two that we're talking about today. Right. But the next time we record, I'll have mashed so many buttons and made so many screenshots excellent thank you thank you thank you so thank you it's been a good year and thank you to the uh raincoat report faithful yeah. the audiences of dozens yes dozens we have a quadruple baker's dozen maybe less than that less than that <laughs> <laughs> but we love them all 
Uh, yes. Yeah. Particularly um, those who have stuck with us through the Rainbow Report. Yes, thank you for uh, listening to it and giving the films a shot. I know uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, I feel like it was uh, important to do. Right. Uh, just to kind of get the ball rolling on uh, just maybe including some of that stuff in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think overall I might not do it again because uh, I did kind of feel it a little pandering at the same time. Perhaps. Just because like, everyone gets a rainbow logo in June and I made us a rainbow logo and then I kind of felt ashamed of it. <laughs> so I was like, I feel like I'm just trying to, but I'm not making any money. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that it was, if nothing else, it was well-intentioned. We like to do themes. Yeah, we do like themes. And this was a good excuse to do a theme and yes. cover some stuff that we hadn't done already. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we're saying this. We still have one more episode of it after this one, but we're, yeah. we're wrapping it up. Right. We're doing and, our uh, wrap-up review early. So I can be totally tanked for the next one. Excellent. Well, uh, in the meantime, I guess this week we're going to go both ways rather than... uh, Yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, we are going both ways, bisexually. Yes, we are. Today we are talking about the film Both Ways. It is a 1975 film directed by Jerry Douglas, who... Directed in total uh, 17 things per IMDb. Um, And just looking at the stuff, it looks like it was mostly uh, gay pornography. Okay. He did work on the screenplay for Radley Metzger's score. Okay, cool. uh, Which came out a couple years before this, so that's interesting. Score is one we definitely need to cover at some point. Um, I've not seen it. But, uh, yeah, I haven't seen it either. I'll lose all my notes. Excellent. <laughs> um, but uh, this film is interesting. I would say that this is more of an exploitation-y drama film with some hardcore scenes in it mm-hmm. than it is uh, a standard adult film. Yeah, it, I think you picked it out. To, for us to watch. It was a very interesting inclusion. I, uh, I found myself enjoying it a lot. Yeah, uh, this is but, one that I had seen uh, I had read and or heard in interviews with the people from Vinegar Syndrome. Mm-hmm. This had been recommended a few times and I was like I should definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, they made it seem like it was a very interesting and special film and I think it is. And yeah. We'll get into why as we go along. Yeah, uh, it was a nice mix up. For yeah. the for the theme to uh, have a little bit of uh, little ladies, yeah, a little bit of ladies, a little but, bit uh, of ladies, a little bit of children. I believe this is the first film that we've covered that has included children. Yeah, not uh, in uh, the sex acts. I yes. want to make that very clear up front. <laughs> but a child actor uh, for like the more exploitation kind of stuff, which is well more more the dramatic yeah, stuff yeah yeah the but, child's uh, not being exploited yeah <laughs> uh, just uh, being very clear about this yes i'm not you're making that very clear uh but yeah this is i think that the key here is that uh this is a story about somebody who is uh married and has a family a child and mm-hmm. 
at the same time he's living the second life with a male lover as well mm-hmm. and he's trying to consolidate all of that and uh trying to get it both ways he's trying to get it both ways that's right yeah it's a very succinct title uh yes uh, it is and in fact there's a one or more titular lines in here there are uh, to drive it home so, so you're gonna tell me there are more both ways films and i was like let's do them no uh as far <laughs> as i know this is the only official both ways film although okay. uh i'm sure there are other films that cover the subject matter but perhaps not as competently yeah no i'm uh, i thought this handled it pretty well i do have a couple criticisms about it that i'll get to later okay but uh I think the quality of the film withstands those even. Yeah, for sure. Um, the cast itself, I'm not too familiar with most of the people in the cast. Um, Darby Lloyd Rains plays the neighbor Louise, and we've seen her in several films. Um, yeah, she was in um, Dark Dreams. I believe so. Yeah. she. Yes, she was. Uh, it was Dark Dreams' birthday yesterday. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I made a little... There's a little This Day in Porn account on Twitter that's worth a follow. They always have, uh, like, people's birthdays and, like, what movies came out when. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's pretty nice. It's pretty cool. I think they listen to the show, so good for them. Well, a shout out to them. Yeah, thank we, you. Uh, we yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, if you stopped listening, that's also okay. well if you stop listening you will not have heard that so you know maybe they'll hear like uh, through the grapevine like uh marvin gay uh yes and uh the uh slits and and credence 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 creator auto revival yeah the credence creature revival i love them yeah they um they all emerged from the sewers Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, another film that Darby Lloyd Raines was in, uh, Memories Within Miss Aggie, which we just not so uh, Covered not ago. so long ago. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's how you say that in human words. Yeah. Do you remember which one she was? Was she like the... Uh, she was Aggie 3. Okay. So like the prostitute, I, I believe. I believe, yes. Yeah. Okay. That's who I thought it was. Um, she's not blonde. No. The other one was blonde, even though she never had blonde hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's a deep callback. <laughs> <laughs> Another name that I recognize here is Andrea True. She was in 53 films. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she was in anything that we've covered on the show. Just skimming through, I don't think so. I don't think so um, yet. But I was not aware of her other uh, claim to fame, which you uh, brought up to me. Yeah, she is Andrea True of the... Uh disco group the andrea true connection whose uh, hit single is more 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 which you probably know uh boss you should drop it drop a clip in uh i will i don't actually know what song that is it's pretty good i would play it but you just drop a clip in
sometimes I don't listen to the episode, so if you listen to this and he didn't drop a clip in, DM me and I'll throttle him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. It um, it kind of reminds me of that character in Body Love, like the Countess or whatever, who is like a major movie star celebrity, but is also like I'm also going to be a pawn star. (laughs) um in a way so uh it's pretty but like a real life version of that which is pretty interesting yeah um i think she's like has like some of the hardcore sex in this film that isn't like cut and clipped yeah so it wasn't and i don't know if it was a body double or not i don't think so uh i'm assuming not no you know my stance on body doubles yes it, it infuriates you it makes me mad. You're still upset about uh, Michelle Bauer. Uh, yeah, Michelle Bauer and yeah. Dark Dreams. No. Or uh, Cafe Flesh. Yes. Yeah. Your brain's more scrambled than mine today. Well, you know, it happens. Yeah. You're having a beer for the first time in a while. You've been recording sober for the past couple weeks. Yeah, like a fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, I watched these movies sober, though, and still enjoyed them, so that was nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good. <laughs> I drank too much the night before when I kept telling you I was going to watch them and then watched uh, Mausoleum, which was also great. Yeah, it's a delightful film. Yeah. It's got uh, demon titties. Yes, and really, that's all we've asked for from yeah. Satan. Yeah. The blessings of uh, the demon nomad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What else we got on this boy? Um, and girls, everyone. Not that much, really. You want to take a quick break and then we'll just uh, get to going both ways? Yeah, this one's not a touch screen, which is infuriating. Well, you, you should just press on the screen anyway. I've been trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, let's go to break. All right, we'll be back and we'll talk more about both ways. with laughter because it's like what the movie is like yes it's very funny i want to know what was so goddamn funny (laughs) Uh, i think it was balloons oh yeah there were a lot of balloons in this film yeah it's a symbol i don't really understand even though i feel balloons every day for people you think i would have like a better philosophical grasp on them but (laughs) really don't well that's because you have no joy in your heart Oh, yeah, that's right. My one true joy is watching pornography. <laughs> and my other second less immediate joy is hearing you uh, narrate the films that I've already seen. <laughs> All right, so uh, 
I will try to keep this somewhat succinct because I took seven pages of notes here. That's a uh, lot. <laughs> there was so much narrative here. It was there's a there's a lot in there. It took me like two hours to take notes on this seventy something minute film because uh, I kept having to pause and catch up with everything. It's eighty four minutes, so you know you're okay. not, it's not too bad. Give you ten more minutes, you know. You just gotta go back and review. I went back a couple times because there were some uh, little production errors. It looked like some little goofs and gas. We'll get to. Okay. Okay. Um, so the film opens and we get our credits and title, and it's a shot of a blue sky, and we see some balloons float up and hear a child being tickled, and this is where we get introduced to uh our main character donald wyman he is at a carnival i guess with his wife janet wyman and his son david wyman yes probably wyman they're all related to bill wyman from the rolling stones oh yeah yeah so they're bouncing around the fair having fun riding the ferris wheel at one point david lets go of the balloons that they've been carrying around so Don, the dad, goes to get the kid some more balloons. He almost gets hit by a car. The kid asks for two balloons after his dad had offered to get one, but he comes back with a big bouquet of balloons. They wander around a bit more and chatter, and finally they let the balloons go. As this is going on, though, uh, and they're letting the balloons go, we pan over to see a guy in the parking lot who's watching them. It's at this point that we hard cut to Donald sitting on his knees in a bed across from Gary Littleton. Uh, Dean, Dean Tate. Uh, Dean Tate, yes. Yes, excellent. He has four credits on IMDb. He played Spike in Cry Uncle in 1971. That sounds sexy. He was in a TV movie titled Crawl Space, so not the one with Klaus Kinski in it. That would be amazing. Uh, as Blonde Hoodlum, uncredited. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, he is a Blonde Hoodlum. And he's uh, also Rocky in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He, <laughs> he played this role in both ways, and he was also in a film called The Devil Inside Her, which was a, an adult film directed by Zebedee Colt. Okay. Zebedee um, Zebedee. He also, it looks like, wrote an episode of Hawaii Five-0. Oh, great. I bet. But it's good. So good, good on him. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he has a big meaty role in this film. He does have a big meaty role in this one, and he was having trying to have it both ways in his career, being on the screen and behind it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So a of, there's a lot of parallels. I'll be making Is this parallel. Yes. Okay. Uh, anyhow. <laughs> Don and Gary are in bed, and they're naked, kneeling across from each other on the bed, talking. Gary tells Donald, you could have told me, and Donald said he was waiting for the right time. Gary asks when it would have been the right time, and Donald says eventually. So, Gary is upset because Don hasn't told him about his family. They've been together for a year, and Gary says that Don doesn't trust him. Don mentions the circumstances in which they met, which was at a leather bar, and we get a flashback of Don walking in in his finest jean jacket, cruising around the leather bar. Yep. 
Not a lot of leather at the leather bar, but maybe it was warm. Perhaps. Too warm for leather. In the bar, there's a sign on the bathroom that says only one allowed in at a time or something to that effect. Don, in narration over the scene, asks what he was supposed to do, and he does like a mock introduction where he tells him his full name, his address, his phone number, that he has a wife and a kid, and, you know, asks if he needs to be blackmailed and such. But in the flashback, we see Don introduce himself to Gary. Gary's wearing a Yale jacket, so Don makes a comment about having been a Harvard man himself. Yeah. Gary, in the present in narration, says it was a lame opener. Yeah. It really was. So Don and Gary continue to go back and forth. Uh, Don emphasizes that he didn't lie to Gary, and Gary makes a comment comparing crimes of commission versus crimes of omission. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see in flashback Don bringing Gary to his place in the town or whatever. uh, Yeah. Some other... He's like a little, like a, just a little flop pad in the city. His fuck pad in the city. Yeah. That's what I wrote on the, on my note. I should have just said that. (laughs) <laughs> There's an open thing of Vaseline on one of the, like, tables there. Never really left it open. Does it dry out? I don't know. Let's get some and open it up. I feel like because it's an oil, it probably doesn't. Maybe. If anything, maybe the top layer gets kind of dried out, but I'd imagine yeah. once you get under it a little bit, it's fine. Okay, well, we'll get some. It's more work for the Raincoat Institute. Yeah, definitely. The Vaseline <laughs> Studies Department. <laughs> <laughs> so we then see our first pretty quick montage of sex between uh, Don and Gary. Yeah, I've heard some of this was cut on like one of like the DVD releases. Oh, yeah. So, because um, the way these scenes are shot, it seems like there's like a couple like scenes of like film and then like some like kind of almost still shots of stuff and then just kind of... So I think maybe some of like the more explicit stuff was cut out. Hmm. Yeah, but they kept the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We see them afterwards, and they're talking, and Don mentions to Gary that he doesn't usually see people a second time. And Gary says, it's all right, it's probably just a phase that he's going through anyway. Gary mentions that Don wanted his phone number anyway, but Gary gave Don the wrong one on purpose. Gary makes another comment like Don had earlier about you know, what it was he supposed to do, say his full name and his address, and right. in case you want to blackmail me, blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's kind of a, a return to the prior comment. We find out in flashback that Don then went to find Gary on Yale's campus and spent days looking for him. Yeah, which is creepy. Uh, yeah, eventually Don finds Gary running on the track. Then we see Gary showing Don his off-campus house. Gary talks about how much it meant to him that Don came to his graduation because his own father didn't. Then we cut to another flashback that's a little bit more present. Um, And this is where uh, Gary has moved into the city and he's showing Don his new place in the city. Yes. Um, As he's showing him around, he shows him that he has uh, a Yale mug there, but also a Harvard mug that he got for Don. Uh Gary makes some comment about having to send away for the Harvard one with uh, 300 popsicle wrappers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, they roughhouse a bit, but uh, when Don looks inside the Harvard mug, there's a set of keys to Gary's place, and they talk about it a bit and start to make out. 
In the present, Don asks Gary when he found out about his family, and Gary says last week when he gave him the keys. We see a scene where Gary's looking under the bed for something that fell, and it turns out it was Don's wedding ring. I think it fell out of his clothes or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so he's looking at it, kind of leaning and reaching under the bed. Uh, as he's doing it, we get the shot of his ass up in the air, and Don kind of slaps it and plays around a bit. Yeah. This is just a goofball. And then Don leans down under the bed with Gary, and Gary kind of hides the wedding ring in his hand, and they kiss. Gary asks Don if he loves him, and Don says yes, but he also says that he loves his wife, and he loves his kid. Don says that he loves Gary just as much, no more, but no less. Gary asks Don if his wife mixed the ring, and then we see a flashback to Don and his wife in his bed. There's so many flashbacks setting up this movie. Indeed. So he makes some excuse about how uh, the wedding ring was falling off, and she then says that he's getting bald and fat, and he said, she said something else I couldn't make out. But we then go from there to another flashback, a flashback from a flashback, <laughs> of uh, him meeting her in college. He approaches her saying that he didn't want to drink alone and invited her to go with him. He's got a newspaper with him that says JFK shot to death. Yes. Um, This is an important plot device uh, along the way. We see Don and Janet uh, now kneeling across from each other in bed the same way that Don and Gary were in the earlier scene. And now they're talking to each other, bickering about their relationship. Janet makes a comment about how he should be more patient with her, and then he says he was Job in the first years of their relationship. We see them having a drink together, and she has a bunch of candles lit. She gives him some model of a ship, uh, and they start to make out. Uh, Don is apparently into boats, and this comes into play more as the film goes along. Yeah, she's like, I have this one until we can get a real one. <laughs> Don loves fucking boats. Um, fucking on boats. So they make out, and he says he loves her, and then we have a similar sex montage as uh, the scene earlier mm-hmm. between Don and Janet. So as the sex scene finishes up, we see him... Uh, pulling out of her as they were fucking cowgirl, and he uh, finishes off with a cum shot. Afterwards, we see him walking back into the bedroom he had apparently just left, and he says he got a copy of the Times and throws the newspaper down on the bed. They comment on the headline, it's about there being a, a blackout. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's why the candles were out. Yeah, yes. It was a huge blackout. Like a historical one, I guess. Yeah. Uh, In the present, we hear more narration, and Don says, Jesus, it took a power outage to bed you. They argue, and he asks what she wants, and she says, him. He says, I'm here. She says, he's present, and then they bicker more. We see another flashback, and he's apologizing to her about not being able to get out of work all day. He's a lawyer, and he was busy doing lawyer stuff. Yeah, they're busy people. They represent people like me. Uh, We see that Janet's looking at the newspaper, and he asks if he's still alive, and and she says she's still looking at the paper. 
Um, he notes that every time a national crisis happens, something happens with them. So he then suggests that they get married. So at this point, they put down the newspaper and the camera pans down and we see it shows a headline that RFK is still in surgery. Yeah, someone shot him too. Indeed. Oh boy. Yeah. So. <laughs> at first I was like, man, this... Like Don's really a narcissist. He thinks the whole world revolves around him. <laughs> in the present, Jane had asked Don where he was this afternoon. He says if she wants to know, she should hire a detective. She notes that even his secretary didn't know. He tells her that the only competition she has is five years old and asleep down the hall. She mm. says, I know, it's been that way since he was born, which is an odd thing for a mother to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's... <laughs> So we then see another flashback, and Don is in the back seat of a taxi cab, and he's holding balloons out the window, and he shouts at another car that his wife just had a baby. And they don't care, and then he drives on. Right. <laughs> uh, he meets her in the hospital room, and he says that he knew it would happen today, and she says, how? And then he points at the newspaper that says, men walk on the moon. Oh, yeah. Very good. <laughs> uh, Don mentions that he still thinks that they should have named him Apollo. It's, uh, I could call him Buzz. <laughs> or, uh... Neil? Yeah, Neil. It's uh, a good name for a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she apologizes, and he makes another comment that they can't just play house forever. Uh, we see another flashback of him swinging David on a swing, and Janet has them go inside, and she gives... Don a weird knickknack that's like a frog with a balloon. He asks her where she got it, and she says she sent away for it. He asks, if you tell me you sent away 300 popsicle wrappers for it, she says, how did you know that? He lays down on the bed, and then there's a newspaper on the bed next to him that says, Agnew quits. <laughs> really racking up historical events here. It's like the Forrest Gump of bisexual pornography. It really is. Except they're not actually involved in any of the things like Forrest Gump was. Oh. The things they, are just happening around them. They didn't have the technology to put him in. <laughs> Old to news like footage. The J yeah, they didn't have the technology to like drop them in like Zapruder film when like JFK got popped. Just you know, just like hanging out right on the sidewalk there. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't have that Robert Zemeckis budget. Yeah, and that's, technology. That's rough. They need to go back and remaster this one. <laughs> Janet asked Don if he wants a divorce, and he says he doesn't think that they need one. Not yet. He apologizes for not being as close as he could be, and we see another flashback of Janet uh, getting into the car with him. Don's about to go to the airport, and Janet finds a Yale jacket in the back of his car. Don explains that he bought it as a gag, and she doesn't seem to get the joke, although he talks about how, you know, it's something about his Harvard thing that people yeah. pick on him about that. So Yeah, something. Yeah, who knows. He says he sent away for it with 300 popsicle wrappers. Fucking Ivy League bullshit. <laughs> uh, he grabs it from her, and then he puts it in his trunk, and then he separates the trunk key from the rest of his keys and uh, pockets it separately from the rest of his keys. He needs different key rings. He's got a whole second life. Right. His needs... second life key ring. Yeah. Just mark them. Get one that says number one dad, and the other one that says number one daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Gina the narration says that she had a flat tire on the way back and his trunk key wasn't on the key ring. He apologizes and says that it's not like he keeps a mistress in the trunk of his car. She says she knows and they start to kiss and fall into bed and we see another sex montage with them that starts with a lot of face licking. I don't like the way they kiss. <laughs> I don't. I guess because I've always had a beard, but face licking has kind of always been off the table. <laughs> right. Unless people are licking my beard, which... I often invite people to do, but no one's ever sucked on it or given it a good lick or anything. Probably because it's full of bacteria. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) After they finish, Janet makes a comment telling Don to close the door. He says David's still asleep, but uh, she makes a comment that Pauline's still awake. It's at this point that we get introduced to Pauline. the old, like the nanny, I guess. Yeah, she's an old nanny, live-in housekeeper's yeah, thing. Lawyer stuff. Uh, yeah, something I can't relate to. When your dad's a lawyer and your mom's a disco star, <laughs> you have a nanny. Pauline's sitting quietly in her room and the phone rings and she answers it. It's Hank and Louise from next door and they're trashed. Yes. They want to talk to Don and Jan, but Pauline says they're asleep. They insist a bunch, and finally Pauline brings them the phone, saying it's the sodomites from next door. (laughs) We see Hank lighting a cigarette on his electric stove, and he almost sets Louise's hair on fire, but doesn't. Hank tells them on the phone that they're throwing a come-as-you-are party. Louise tells them to stand in the window so they know what to expect. Don seems slightly annoyed by their drunk antics, but says to call Jean in the morning and give her the details. We then see them in bed together, and Don kind of rolls over with his eyes open, staring off the side of the bed. And then we get a voiceover of Don and Gary talking. Don wants to meet with Gary, but can't tonight. He says he's going to a party with friends. Gary notes he has a job bartending tonight, too. I immediately knew where this was going. Yeah. There's a lot of this movie that's like an episode of Three's Company. Yeah. Where there's just like a lot of like goofy coincidences and stuff. We're like, oh, we're both here or someone misheard something. And now we're going to base a whole bunch of stuff off of that. So, of course, Gary's bartending at this party and Don has to awkwardly meet him and pretend not to know him. And Gene and Louise go off to the side to chatter a bit. And Louise thinks Gary's super hot. Uh, This drunk woman crawling on the floor comes up to Gary and asks him to make her a grasshopper. Yeah, she's an algebra teacher, it turns out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hank is the life of the party telling jokes. He starts one with, these two fairies, see? (laughs) I don't know where it went. Uh, Gary and Don are having an awkward conversation to the side as they get away from the people at the party. Uh, They decide they're going to talk tomorrow, but then the drunk lady pops up next to Gary, and Gary says he'll be right with her, and she says she'll be on the bar. (laughs) They have a talk where Don says that he'll take his wife home, and Gary says that's not necessary, but Gary also says she knows. Louise then pops up and starts getting flirty with Gary, and Hank shows up, asking Gary if his wife is trying to lay him, and then he says that if so... He has his blessing. Gary says his wife is lovely, but I'm queer as a $3 bill. (laughs) Hank thinks this is a joke at first and starts hollering out at the partygoers. 
Don tells him to leave him alone, but Gary ends up taking off his jacket and leaving. Hank says, did we lose him? And Louise says, this one's going to cost you. So we see Gary leaving, and he's going onto the subway and getting out of there. Yeah. Louise hollers that anyone who doesn't want to stay for the orgy should clear out, and a bunch of people leave. Yeah, it's a, they really whittled down the crowd of orgy goers to uh, <laughs> basically four people. Right. <laughs> it's not much of an orgy. It's more of just some, a little bit of swinging. A lot of spiteful swinging. Uh, yes, yeah, spiteful swinging. <laughs> So Jane asks if they're going to stay for the orgy, and Don's like, yeah, maybe another night. They should go home. And Jane asks if he's going to ravish her then, and he says, don't I always? And she says, not in weeks. And she says that someone's going to fuck her tonight, even if it's not him, and she walks off. So then Jane wanders into the orgy room, and Don's just hanging out outside the door, but finally he walks in. It's just the two of them with Hank and Louise. Jan starts undressing, and then Don starts to make out with Louise. We see Pauline at home. She's cleaning a mirror, and um, we keep getting cuts back to her as the orgy progresses, the quote-unquote orgy. Don is the hesitant one of the group. Everybody else seems to be getting into it. We also get some cutaways to Gary walking home. At this point, Gary calls Donald's house, and Pauline answers the phone. Gary wants the number for Hank and Louise, and Pauline says she's not authorized to give it out. So then he asks Pauline to call Hank and Louise and get a hold of Don and ask Don to call him. The orgy, meanwhile, ensues. Uh, Pauline tries to call Hank and Louise, but the phone's off the hook. Uh, As this is going on, Don repeatedly looks over at Hank. Uh, After a bit, the couple start getting closer and they're almost on top of each other, at which time Don starts to reach over and has his hand... Uh, right around uh, Hank's dick area. Mm-hmm. Hank <laughs> Hank then sees what's happening and politely moves his hand away. <laughs> um, and we see lots of sucking and fucking for a while. Um, and uh, a voluminous load at the end. Excellent. Loads are lovely. We then see Pauline at home. She's awake next to a clock. It's like 4.30 in the morning or something. She hears Don and Janet coming in, and Jan says never again about the swinging. She didn't like sharing him, and Don says it was her idea. Don picks up a message. Pauline had written down Gary's name and phone number for Don to call him back later. Don gets the message and says that he'll call tomorrow, and they go to bed. As they're going to bed, Janet mentions that Pauline's taking David to the flea market or some place after church tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's at this point that we go to the antique shop, and we're introduced to Irwin, the antique shop owner, who is Pauline's friend. Yes, he's wonderful. He's very heavily balding with kind of the horseshoe hair around his head, but he has like one tuft of hair at the front of his head that he's hanging on to. It's really a very long lock. Yeah, one very long lock and nothing else around yeah, it. Yeah, it's like a Homer Simpson, uh, Charlie Brown kind of situation. But just at the front of his head, right above his forehead. Like a horn. Yeah. <laughs> of limp, sad hair. He's got a George Costanza kind of vibe, but a lot queenier. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he greets Pauline as she comes in with David. And Pauline got David a toy boat of some sort. Boats. Yeah, boats, boats, boats. They're important to this movie. 
Erwin convinces David to play hide-and-seek so he can get all catty with Pauline. Pauline says she doesn't like to talk about other people's business, but... <laughs> uh, strange things are happening in that house. She th says that there's an odd man calling at all hours of the night. Uh, Erwin says that sounds ominous. She says that he called again this morning, and before she knew it, she had told him where to find Don. Erwin suggests that it could be some sort of blackmail. Yeah. Erwin suggests delicately that perhaps the mysterious man may have a sister, and uh, I believe the implication is that perhaps he is having an affair with uh, this mysterious man's sister. Yes. Uh, Don is having yes. an affair with this mysterious man's sister. Yes, he is. And... Uh, they kind of sit with that for a moment. And then Erwin suggests that they might need to go to the to mm. the docks and warn Don, because he's out on his boat. Mm -hmm. She says that he might think that they're prying, but Erwin says that she knows she couldn't forgive herself if something happened. So then we see Don on his boat, and he's fiddling around and looks up, and Gary's on the dock. Don meets him, and Gary says that he'd rather have half of him than 100% of anyone else he could think of, so Gary suggests they get coffee, and they pull out the two mugs, the Harvard and Yale mug. Mm -hmm. I think it's around here, like when they're down in like the cabin. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look like reflected in the glass, there's like a crew member oh. or something. <laughs> Someone's there. It might be another person from the cast that was just chilling, but yeah, you can see him. It's pretty cool. Don suggests that they take the boat out, and we cut to Pauline and Irwin. They're on the dock, and Pauline says, well, looks like no one's here. And then we get a smash cut to some fellatio going on on the boat. So uh, Pauline and Irwin just turn around and leave. He brought his book with him. Well, he doesn't want to stop reading his book. <laughs> he drove. <laughs> he doesn't want to stop reading his book. That's dangerous, but all right. Then we see Don with Hank at the store with David. Hank says he wants to apologize for the other night, and Don says he doesn't want to talk about it. Hank says Don knows enough about him to make his wife divorce him. He knows that he dines out from time to time, but he would never want to leave his wife. Hank asks Don if the other night was Don's first time. Don says it was the first important time. Hank says, same old story. Everybody wants it both ways. Oh, yeah. Don says, literally. Hank says, both ways, huh? Who is it? And Don admits it's the, it was the boy at the party. Hank says, well, I've never heard of anyone getting away with that. Don admits it's a challenge. Then we get a montage of Don hiding and getting stuff out of his trunk, along with some sex cutaways with both himself and Gary and himself and Jan. We see Don call Hank, and Hank says that uh, this is a bad idea. He then calls Gary, and Gary says it won't work. And then he calls Jan, and Jan is excited about whatever this is. So, essentially, Don has set up a double date where he and his wife are going to go out to see some sort of play or something, but also he has a... A uh, fake date for Gary. Yes. So they are going to go on a double date, quote unquote, together. It's more Three's Company stuff. Yes, yes yeah. it is. <laughs> There's some interesting tension here. And as the performance starts, Don kind of rubs Gary's jacket and he takes off. 
Dawn catches up with him, and Gary says he wishes he could just take off and never come back. He asks Dawn how many times he can do this before Dawn loses all respect for him, and Dawn says he won't. Gary mentions he couldn't talk to his wife for a few minutes before slipping. Dawn says he'll get better, and Gary says he doesn't want to have to. Dawn says, not even for us? Gary says, it's not for us. It's for you. He says that Don's bouncing through life on a pogo stick, but at some point he needs to land on one side of the fence. Don says he'll call Gary tomorrow, and Gary demands tonight. Don says he can't, but Gary says if he doesn't, he'll call him. So then we see Don and Janet returning home, and uh, Don tells Jan that Gary left sick, but Jan doesn't seem to believe it. Yeah. Don says he can only tell her what Gary says, and Jan says he'd love to know the nature of Gary's illness. Don asks Pauline if uh, he had any calls, and she says no, so Don says that he's going to give Gary a ring. Don calls him, and Gary asks if they can meet, and Don says he doesn't know if he can get away. Gary says if not, he knows where he can find him, and then hangs up. Don and Janus start to argue at this point, and he says that he's not concerned about Gary, but Janet yells at him about his so-called paternal instinct and says that he's an awfully big boy for you to have on your knee. Yeah, he's too big a boy. Yeah. So then we see Jan go to into the bathroom. They have a paper towel holder on the back of their bathroom door. Excellent. Uh, she pours a bubble bath, and she gets in the bath and starts to fantasize about sex with Dawn, and we see some shots of the earlier scenes. <laughs> she starts to masturbate. This goes on for a bit where uh, the flashbacks get more kaleidoscopic mm-hmm. as things go on. They sure do. But at the end of the scene, we see a flash to Gary blowing Dawn. And then we cut to Don outside. He's swinging on a tire swing outside, and then Janet approaches him outside and says... That was his jacket, wasn't it? Yeah, she had a realization. All the worlds are colliding right now. (laughs) She says, you always were a sucker for blondes. And so Don walks up and slaps her in the face, and then she runs off. And uh, the old Biddy sees it, too. Yeah, Pauline's watching out the window and sees it. So Don chases after Jan through the woods. She trips and loses her shoes at one point, but she just keeps running through. He finally catches up with her and snatches her, but she breaks away. Uh, He catches her again and wrestles her to the ground. They struggle a bit and Mm -hmm. they chair each other's shirts, but then it just breaks into rough sex on the dead leaves on the ground. Yes, it does. Uh, But uh, sometimes they're wearing shoes and sometimes not when they're chasing each other. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, and I'm not sure on this one, but to go back to the bubble bath scene. Uh Uh-huh. I think someone hands her like that picture, like a vaguely, I think see a hand at the top, but it could be anything. So <laughs> I'm not really certain, but I'm going to say that's what it was. Fair enough. Um, and also Don sucks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's selfish. He sure is. Well, we'll get into that later. So we see some missionary sex between the two of them and some rolling around, but, uh, After a while, we see them get up and walk away with Don's arm around her. We then see Gary at Don's door. Pauline's greeted him at the door and tried to shoo him away, but Don says that he'll see him. So Gary says he wants to talk to Don's wife, and Don says, don't worry, it's going to work out. So they go off to Don's boat to talk. Gary's upset and talking to Don about how he needs to tell his wife. They go back and forth a bit, and finally Gary says, then let me tell her. 
Don then hits Gary in the head with his Harvard mug. Yes. And Gary collapses to the ground, and he's mm-hmm. out, bleeding from the head. And dead. Uh, we see Don looking down at his hands as he touches Gary's head and looks at the blood. Uh, he puts his jacket up next to Gary's bloody head as if he's going to stop the bleeding. We see Pauline over at Irwin's shop getting let in, and then we cut back to Don. He's calling the operator, seemingly to get help from Gary, but he looks over and sees a drawing from his son, and then he stops and hangs up the phone. We hear a voiceover uh, from earlier where they had said that it's as if you and me never existed about how they didn't exchange information. Don realizes he could get away with this. So Don cleans up the shattered mug, and then we see Pauline and Erwin decide that they're going to save Don's life because they're worried that Gary's going to do something to him. Mm -hmm. We then see Don carrying a large bag back to his car, a giant suitcase. Mm Mm-hmm. A man-sized suitcase. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pauline and Irwin pull into the parking lot of the pier and run into Don as he's leaving. They talk between cars, and Pauline explains they were worried that that man was going to hurt him. Don says he was just wanting to borrow money. You know, he didn't want to do it in front of everybody, so... Yeah. Um, he barely made the train back home. Irwin says... You know how these women are, and says that he'll take Pauline home. But Pauline says she'll ride home with Don, which makes Don a little upset, but he goes along with it. He has plans. Yes. <laughs> At home, Janet's grilling Don about what's going on between him and Gary, and Don says she's already come to her own conclusions. So Janet says, then tell me I'm wrong. Don says he shouldn't have to, and storms off and gets in his car as Jan yells at him. It says... Go to him, then. So Don takes off, and Pauline tells Jan that it's none of her business, but... And then she gives Jan the name and number that she wrote down from Gary earlier. Then we see Don pull up to Gary's place and pulls that large bag out of the trunk. Jan calls Gary's number while Don's there, uh, planting Gary's body back into his house. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the phone rings, but of course Don doesn't answer. No. We then see Don leaving Gary's with the bag. We see David in the bathroom wasting a bunch of shaving cream <laughs> like it grows on trees. Uh, Jan walks in and gives him a hard time about it and then says that uh, she's trying to pack because they're going on a trip to California on the plane. David asks if Dad's coming and she says no, he doesn't like California. But they're going to stay with David's aunt for a while. She cleans him up and tells him to pack his favorite things. We then see Don walking down the street, and he dumps the bag uh, in a pile of trash on the street, and he buries Gary's keys in a planter at the side of the road. He then takes the Yale mug and drops it off of a bridge in the park. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we cut to Jean and David leaving home. We then get a shot of Gary's keys and the mug that... Uh, Don had disposed of, but they're in the passenger seat of a car. The camera pulls up and we see that it's Irwin's car. (laughs) He says, not Don Wyman. (laughs) So then Don comes home and calls out for Janet and Davey, but they're obviously gone. He picks up a note and looks at it, and we don't get the contents of the note, but what we do get is a newspaper on the table that says Nixon resigns. Okay. 
It was Excellent. it was subtle. They didn't focus on it like in those other scenes. Yeah, but I it think was I, really clever. I missed it, so that's great. Because I wondered if there was a resolution to that, but I guess yeah. So then we get it's too a, subtle for me. Yeah. So then we get Don swinging on the tire swing outside, and then a shot of the balloons floating away, and credits over a blue sky background. And that is both ways. Wait, that was a lot of plot. Yeah, it was. It was way more than we normally get. Yes, it was an awful lot. Um, but it wasn't all awful, even though it was a lot. No, it was not. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with our Rainbow Review. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Rainbow Report, and uh, Jeremy, you are here to start off our Rainbow Review, is that correct? Yes, it is. That's why I'm always here. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, why don't you do that? Okay. I think I can handle that. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. That's what this movie was disgusting oh no it was not there was not a lot of sex in it too there's not enough nasty raunchy sex for it to be disgusting no not really uh what this movie was though was good yeah um i really uh, found myself enjoying this film a lot i feel like it probably has one of the more involved plots that we've had for Um, sure with some definite character building and some pretty good acting from everyone involved yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't really think anyone stunk up the place. And I thought some of the performances were pretty good. Uh, Andrea and uh, Gerald Grant both gave good performances as uh, a couple that seems to really hate each other. But uh, can't seem to let each other go either uh, until the end. But, but then everything's gone bad. Did you know that uh, Gerald Grant has four IMDb credits? One was Radley Metzger's score. Yes, we discussed this earlier. One was Naked Came the Stranger by Radley Metzger. Okay. One was, of course, this role in both ways. And the other one was in Umberto Lindsay's Eaten Alive, the cannibal film. Oh, I didn't know that. We didn't talk about him, though. We talked about the other man, Dean Taint. Yes. <laughs> um, but to focus my review a little bit more, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I'd say one of the major drawbacks might have been the music. It was a bit, uh, I think, generic, kind of porny yeah. at points. And uh, some of the music was kind of lighthearted for like what was going on in a particular scene. Yeah. Like uh, that chase scene. Or, uh, like, the scene in the leather bar. Like, stuff. Certain cues just didn't seem to fit. I could see that. Yeah. But, plot-wise, 
um, acting, all the hits, all the highlights of the world. I think my biggest criticism, which I said earlier, doesn't really affect the quality of the film, is probably uh, Don's portrayal as a selfish bisexual, which is kind of like a negative trope that's sort of associated with bisexuals in general. Okay. Um, So in that way, it's kind of like, it's a good performance, but it's kind of a performance of like a stereotype, like the idea that like they like all cheat or uh, they just want to fuck everyone they meet kind of thing. I could see that. Sort of uh, insatiable. And I think this performance kind of plays to those stereotypes a bit. Okay. But that said, uh, it still was an enjoyable performance. And it was a pretty convincing story all around of a relationship that was crumbling and of a, a portrait of a man whose desires uh, ultimately destroy him. Yeah. So I think on the drama side of things, it worked. I was saying last night that it reminded me a little bit of like uh, an Andy Milligan film. Okay. It was sort of like... Uh, Mostly just because people were yelling at each other a lot. <laughs> and it's just sort of a... It seems kind of like the sort of like morality tale that probably would have attracted him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure he probably would have done it in like obviously like in a seedy or cheaper way. Right. But uh, just a little bit of that little uh, downbeat slice of life. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the ending because he does have like a sort of habit of like giving his films kind of bleaker endings. Yeah, yeah. Um like Harry Reams getting hit by a car. Yeah, suddenly. <laughs> and his uh, lover just being like, yeah, I've, I've never seen him before. Yeah, I've never seen him before. It's, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just killing him with a mug. And I'm like, geez, that was quick. Yeah. Uh, why didn't you just dump the body off the boat? Do you think it's harder to do? I don't know. I feel like if you the dump the body off the boat, there's a possibility that the body floats up somewhere and then like... Yeah, he he. It's easier to tie him to the boat than it would be to Gary being dead at his apartment. Yeah, posed with a big fucking knock on his noggin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So uh, that was a enjoyable film all around. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm glad we got a little bit of uh, some more representation. And we didn't just have like a, a, a straight gay film mm-hmm. or a straight straight film. We got the best of both worlds. And yeah. unlike the people in this film, I had it both ways. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Uh, four stars. All right. I really appreciated this film. Um, it was. Better than I had gone into it thinking it would be. Um, There's a lot going on for it. Uh, I think that it's a very well put together film. Uh, As you said, the acting all around is pretty good. Uh, The only thing that I could moderately criticize for the film and that's really nitpicking is the child has some moments. Uh, Particularly early in the film, he kept staring at the camera. Oh yeah, he's a terrible actor. But child, uh, I tried to forget he was there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's a child. What are you going to do? So, uh, whatever. Not, not, put him, not put him in a porn film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But there's a lot to dig into when it comes to this film. 
I think that it's a very creative film in the sense that it's digging into something that a lot of films, uh, even today, don't really dig too deep into. Sure. If we take the uh, sexuality out of it, it's about two relationships, uh, a guy trying to maintain two relationships at Mm -hmm. the same time and trying to make that work. But when you add to that the whole thing about... You know, about him being uh, a closeted, I guess, bisexual in this case. Mm -hmm. You know, that in the, of course, societal uh, rejection of that sort of thing makes things a bit more difficult. But, you know, at at the same time, he's a conflicted character in the sense that, at least if we take him at his word, he loves Gary, but he also loves his wife and kid. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of conflicted because he does, you know, as the title implies, he wants it both ways. He wants to be able to continue this life that he's built with his wife, but at the same time, he wants to be able to maintain this relationship with Gary. Um, But at the end, both relationships suffer because of that. Uh, Even before things actually collapse at the end, both relationships are suffering. Yeah. Um, No one's winning. Nobody's winning, no. So we've got all of that going on. I think that the film does a really good job of like putting you in the mind of this conflicted person, despite the fact that... uh, his actions ultimately become selfish, and uh, he definitely makes decisions that I certainly wouldn't in the same situation. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the film does a good job of making you empathize with him, at least up to a certain point. Right, yeah, I could definitely... You know, and, and yeah. I think that like by doing those flashbacks, they... The way that they did it might have been a little bit overdone, but you kind of see the roots of both of these relationships and why Mm -hmm. both of them are special to him. Right. So it kind of puts you, you know, in his mindset. But you could also empathize with, you know, the people that are affected by all of this, uh, particularly his wife and his male lover. You know, the wife explains that he's become distant. He's disappearing and she doesn't know where he is gary's upset because he realizes that he's being compartmentalized in don's life Mm -hmm. don has by his own words not lied to gary but at the same time he's just omitting parts of his life and hiding things from him and in that sense he's still being dishonest definitely and so everybody's being put into an awkward situation and nobody's happy because of it. I think that it's, it's interesting because I really hadn't thought about the trope of the Mm -hmm. bisexual selfish person. Mm -hmm. You brought that up and that's, that's kind of a good point. But at the same time, I could see somebody in Don's situation wanting to be able to, maintain both relationships and quote unquote have it both ways yeah and i think it's a it's a valid motive but it's just also one that kind of just plays into like stereotypes and tropes a little bit too but i could see that's fine like i like i said i don't think it hurts the overall quality of the film sure while we're you know doing these films it may as well raise some uh issues yeah and i think that that's that's a valid thing to bring up i just hadn't thought about it before you brought it up is and that's an interesting take to it you've got a lazy brain yeah my brain's really lazy yeah it won't get a job 
<laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot going on here, and I was really drawn into the drama of the situation and wondering where things were going. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, the the busybody, nosy, uh, nanny, maid, whatever, who's getting involved in things, and Irwin, who's yeah. <laughs> a weirdo, who's yeah. just involved in everything. Yeah, I like them, even though it, the film probably didn't really need like their comic relief. No. Uh, it was still pretty funny. Like, and then we have, uh, we have Hank and Louise, yeah. the, na- the neighbors, the sodomites next door, as yeah. uh, Pauline referred to them as. <laughs> you know, they were fun. They really didn't have a huge part in the narrative, but they yeah. were fun. I think they were they were good, though, for like just to get that orgy scene in there and kind of... Uh, have that moment where like his uh i think bisexual desires are kind of come out in a place where uh his wife could see them potentially right i don't know if she does in that scene but you know the possibility exists and and i did appreciate uh later on the scene of don and hank talking because it's the only scene where like don's being fully honest about what's going on yes uh with hank and Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of important to have in the film, so functionally it makes sense, so that, yeah, that's good. and also just increases the tension uh, in the Don-Janet relationship anyway. Right. So we've had this awkward, spiteful swinging session. Right. Um, and, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and, and the fact that it goes really dark at the end is also an interesting choice, but I think that it kind of adds to the film because... Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Don's just like, well, I mean, this guy's dead, so I guess I better do what I can not to alienate my wife at the same time, so yeah. I'm just going to cover all of this up. Sure. Um, and that kind of feeds into the real bleakness of the 70s, mm-hmm. the Def- sorts of uh, exploitation films and such coming out at the time. Yeah, definitely is de- yeah, of that time, of one of those uh, that kind of uh, very bleak ending. Yeah. Uh, that it's not totally surprising, I guess, because uh, it's not like I've seen this story before, but you know, it's just kind of like you know, how from like true crime shows or whatever, how like some of these like illicit type relationships tend to end anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it was an interesting like film choice because you and I, I do like that they didn't go with like a happy ending where he did get his way. Yeah, where they're all, where, uh, where Don, Janet, and Gary are all sitting on the couch together, and and Janet and Gary are both grabbing Don's dick, and they're all laughing. Yeah, that would have been the Three's Company ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but instead, it just got bleak. So, oh, yeah. um, overall, I really like this film. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it four stars. Excellent. All right, well, one more week of the Rainbow Report left. Yep. And, um, uh... It's going to be a good one. Yeah, it'll be a a delightful finish to a... I'm I'm tired. (laughs) Fair enough. I do want to ask... I I am kind of bummed out that there wasn't any follow-up on Irwin. Yeah. Who apparently has figured out what Don has done. It's implied, I think, what will happen. Uh, I just, I just but wish there was a little bit more. It would have been nice if he was back there, like swinging around on his tire swing, and the police rolled up and handcuffed him, and everyone's like, "I got you, you son of a bitch." <laughs> you know, that would have been a very satisfying conclusion. But 
I can understand also why it didn't happen, but right. Like I said before, uh, apparently I think there's like about 15 minutes edited out. That, that's a lot. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah. So I wonder. I don't know if it would have had that, but I do wonder like how much like sex was cut out. Uh, I've also heard like some of like the scenes like with is it David the child uh-huh. were also cut out too to probably make it a little less you know yeah just having him in that proximity is just kind of awkward yeah like i get like if you have a movie where there's like a child and there's like one sex scene later or something like that like and but this is just it is pornography at the end of the day yeah i mean i think that it's it's still like it's important to the plot they should have the Oh, they should have got the little man from Burial Ground. Oh, from Burial Ground? Ground? Yes. Uh, Johnny Bark or whatever? Yes. <laughs> and he could have bit his mom. <laughs> <laughs> now, that would have been a turn. That would have made it a five-star film for oh, sure. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, okay, well... Uh... <laughs> well, the next time you're uh, down at the non-leather leather bar, uh, wearing your denim best, looking for... A little side fella, don't forget your raincoat. Yes. Yeah.